You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hi, everybody, and welcome today to Mosaic Church right here in Austin, Texas. My name is Morgan, the lead pastor, and I am pre-recording this, as you can see, from our MKids hallway, where we are reopening new MKids classrooms all the time. Super excited about it. We'd love to have your child here with us. You can check on our registration page and see and confirm if their classroom is open and join us on a Sunday. I'm actually not here with you all today in the in the building uh, because I am in Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, Mosaic Church is part of a larger spiritual family called Every Nation. Every Nation uh, is a family of churches and campus ministries around the world and this week has been the Every Nation Build Conference in Southern Africa that includes uh, delegates and leaders and pastors and campus missionaries from South Africa, from Namibia, from Botswana, in Zimbabwe, and I've been with them this week. It's a big deal for them coming out of COVID. It's been a really tough go there in Southern Africa, in South Africa in particular, but I'm honored to be with them and excited to be back with you next week. But today, I'm also excited to introduce to you someone who you're gonna love, uh, a longtime friend of mine. His name is Peter Dusan. Peter, for the last 12 years, has been the lead pastor at the Springs Church right down the road in San Marcos, Texas. Together, we planted the Springs many years ago. He was a student there on the college campus and grew in vocational ministry, done a great job taking that small campus group, growing it now into a church. They got their own facility and property. They're doing great things in the community there. He transitioned that church over to a younger pastor named Alberto Lopez, who's doing a great job. And Peter has joined our team here at Mosaic as a regional campus evangelist through every nation, again, through every nation family. And he travels throughout the state, encouraging, strengthening, and equipping campus ministries. He's got a tremendous evangelistic gift. Uh, he's married to his wife, Elisa. They have four children, and the Dusans are an amazing family. We're so blessed to have them, and I know you'll be encouraged as you hear from him today. So, will you please give a warm welcome to my friend, Peter Dusan. All right. Muchas gracias. Y'all, let me pick on Morgan for a second, you know, since he's not here. Um, you know, we all know that Morgan's a great uh, preacher up here. Um, but I think it's good to render thanks to God for giving us a leader who's so much more than just a good speaker. So here we go. A, Morgan does hard things when most men would run. B, Morgan loves as a leader finding specific greatness in people and empowering them accordingly. And number one, Morgan treasures God's word, not just up here from the, the platform, but also when he's alone. So thank God for Morgan. And Morgan, I know you're listening online. Thank you for being our pastor, for loving Jesus, and travel home safely, quickly, in that order. So amen. And once again, all y'all, happy Mother's Day again. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I happen to have a mom, so uh, mom, I know you're listening online too. Thank you for momming like a champ. So, all right, we are in week six of our sermon series, How to Follow Jesus Christ. Now, I trust that you're tracking with the unambiguous uh, aim of our preaching, because 
If we stink at everything else in life, but yet we grow in following Jesus, we are in overwhelming and utter success. Amen? Would you stand to your feet to honor the reading of the Holy Scripture? I'm going to be mostly in Mark chapter 14 today, so you can camp out there. I'm going to start with verses 26 through 31. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, hey, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you that this very night before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Lord, it's, it's gravely common to become so familiar with church services that we miss what you're speaking to us. So Lord, help us right now to follow you in the high worship of listening to your word proclaimed. Amen. Amen. Y'all, today's topic is how to follow Jesus through failure. Failure. And, and I have to admit, I'm, I'm a bit suspicious about why I was chosen to preach on this topic. You know, I guess I'm the resident expert now on this, but maybe not. Uh, but seriously, what if, what if Peter's relative prominence in scriptures has less to do with his strengths and his gifts and more to do with his weakness? What if God chose to magnify, in fact, the, the failures of Peter so that he can show us, hey, listen, if I loved Peter there, then I'll love you always and everywhere. Amen? Here's the big idea. God can do more through your failure than you can do in your strength. God can do more through your failure than you can do in your strength. In fact, I have a hunch that Peter is frequently picked on or singled out in the Gospels because of his failure. Because 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God's power is made perfect in human weakness. That's why I often say that I'm more perfect and powerful than most because I have a lot of weakness to add to the equation to God's glory, hallelujah. Therefore, the the story of Peter's failure is perhaps a greater insight into the gospel than any success he ever had. And that's how I'm gonna organize my thoughts today, showing you how Peter is singled out, number one, by self. Two, singled out by the world, and finally, singled out by the Savior. Now, I'm going to preach from top to bottom, mostly in Mark chapter 14 and beyond. I'm going to preach these three points, and then I'm going to spend about 10 minutes. We are going to bravely spend about 10 minutes examining the implications, hallelujah, about what this means to follow Jesus through failure. We can be brave with this. Let's go to the start of our passage and see how Peter is 
Number one, singled out by self. I'm going to spend most of my time on this point. Let's go back up to Mark chapter 14, verse 26. They had just sung the Hallel hymn out of the book of Psalms, and they're on the Mount of Olives, and it's supposed to be this beautiful anticipatory moment for the Passover holiday ahead. And then Jesus drops this abrupt downer on them. Verse 27, Jesus says, you will all fall away. Now time out for a second. What if 10 minutes ago, Kivon would have just got up here right after that beautiful Waymaker moment. Thank you, worship team. Amen. Don't, don't miss how spoiled we are. What if Kivon would have got up here and right after worship, you know, they had just sung a hymn here in this chapter. What if Kivon would have got up here and said, all right, okay, here we go. You're all a bunch of fake posers, and you're just going to turn your back on Jesus. All right, let's pray. Now, let's be honest. Wouldn't it be kind of hard to vibe with that? But that's kind of what Jesus does here. In fact, the, the word that John Mark used to record what Jesus said is the Greek word scandalizo, which is where we get our English word scandalize. So Jesus was essentially saying, you will all be so deeply scandalized by what my gospel actually is that you'll abandon me. Now, for me, over the years, I've been low-key scandalized multiple times by what the gospel actually is. You know, especially in recent years, as, as I've been painfully confronted by the reality that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than conservatism. And so at a cost, I've had to adjust my mindset accordingly or change my mind. It's what the Bible calls repentance. And what about you? What happens when the religion you embrace doesn't quite fit with the kingdom that Jesus actually rules today? Are you scandalized, and so do you adjust the environment around you and look for lesser religious kingdoms that kind of fit into your current mindset, or do you let God adjust you? The disciples here were scandalized that Jesus wasn't the warrior king that they expected. Instead, he saves by dying. He rules by serving. He conquers by being conquered. One of my favorite shows is Undercover Boss, where often the CEO or the, the owner of a company will go undercover, you know, covertly and kind of work alongside her employees to gain some insight about them. Or even she'll, she'll go there to, to single them out and help them up, right? This this, this is kind of like a picture of what Jesus does in the incarnation. When he comes to us, but he doesn't cease to be the boss. Instead, he lowers himself and leads like that by taking on the form of a servant, right? And the way he did so, despite how many times he promised what he was going to do, just scandalized the, gospel, the, the disciples' little limited mindset. And so here you have Jesus. He warns them. He delivers this hard truth. Hey, you're all going to abandon me. And Peter, instead of processing it in his heart, he pops off with his mouth, as he often does. He's totally my person. 
Verse 29, Peter said to him, hey, hey, even though they all fall away, I will not. Awkward moment where he singles himself out as the champion and he thinks he needs to throw his brothers under the bus to gain some comparative advantage here. I can only imagine the, the looks James and John must have been giving him, like, you know, rolling up their sleeves or you know, tying up their tunics or whatever they did in those days, <laughs> ready to fight. But Peter's not done. He's going to double down on his self-declaration here. Verse 31, he said emphatically, if I must die, I will not deny you. Pride in the human heart is ground zero for failure. Really, Peter was already failing right here. He just didn't know it. He was already denying Jesus comparatively, in, in essence, because he was lifting up the false savior of self and looking at the true savior right in his eyes and denying him to his face. Now hear me out. There is a type of self-assurance that comes from the word of God. But this is the kind of self-assurance that belittles the word of God. See, only God can say with any real substance as he does in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Peter had no business making this grand self-declaration. But Peter's not done. See, instead of internalizing Jesus' warning, he just turns up the heat on his external energy. If you peek ahead in Mark 14, right when Jesus is arrested, Peter gets out his sword and just starts waving it around indiscriminately. He, he actually tries to kill a temple guard. This poor dude named Malchus. We, we know from church history this dude probably got saved. Hallelujah. But Peter cut the dude's ear off, right? So that's kind of an awkward church moment. Cuts the dude's ear off, and in case you're concerned about Malchus, we know from the Gospel of Luke that Jesus put his hand on that dude's ear hole, and he grew another ear. That's a good deal. But here's the point. Peter was super passionate, but not super faithful. And think about us. This kind of gets all up in my feelings because so often our grand gestures of what we think is faith aren't being driven as much by earnest devotions, devotion to God, as much as they're masking internal deficiencies like pride or insecurity. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've gone and done wild and crazy things in public, you know, you know, for God. And then I'll be like, God, I'll go anywhere for you. I'll do anything for you. Ah, and God's like, okay, go home and do the dishes so your wife can take a nap. And I'm like, I don't think that's my word, God. <laughs> right from the onset, as if we can dare to relate to Peter, one thing that we need to know right away is, and we, when we're asking this question, how do we follow Jesus Christ? A beautiful paradox that we need to understand is we cannot follow Jesus Christ without his help. Unless the Savior saves and holds us up, all of our willpower alone amounts to nothing. Romans 3, no one seeks God. No, not one. Unless God opens the door for that, amen? And this is my story. I, I was religious, but I didn't really seek God. I, I was a faker. I'd, I'd go to church now and then, you know, to, to say sorry and feel bad and stuff without repenting or changing. It felt, it felt kind of therapeutic to me to, to, to go to church and feel bad about the sins that I had no intention 
or power to actually turn from, the girls I was manipulating, the, the people I would lie to. You see, outside of church, I was the guy at the party, extra fun, breaking stuff. And for me, it wasn't until I was confronted with the power of the gospel through a campus ministry in my high school that I was shown and singled out really in my pride and there shown the power of the gospel. And that's how I went from being the one breaking stuff to the one broken down and still being broken down by Jesus. See, I, I first had to come to the end of my self-assurance before I could really gain any assurance from him and get more, hallelujah. I think this is why I relate to the, the first century OG Peter so much because with all of his impetuous passion, I'm totally like him. And in the painful moments that follow his empty boast, he gets the best thing, amen? He's singled out by self, and then number two, he's singled out by the world. If you go ahead and mark 14, scroll down to verse 66, or if you have a paper Bible, turn the page. Uh, it's after Jesus' arrest, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Jesus warming himself, she looked at him and said, uh, you also were with Jesus, the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out of the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them, but he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them because you are a Galilean. See, I think probably Peter was sporting his fake, terrible southern accent, southern Israel accent, but they saw right through it. Verse 71, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately, the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how, how Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he broke down, and he wept. Imagine the unspeakable pain of knowing that you had a chance to be intimately, personally connected to the most beautiful, the most wonderful being in the history of being, and yet in his presence, you betray him. He's broken down in this moment of failure. He finally came to see who he truly is in the power of his own self-confidence alone. And y'all, Peter in this moment was in a really good place. The best of his life. Even though it felt like the opposite to him at the time. And the same can be said for you. So often your greatest moments of formation and growth are the ones that feel the worst in the moment. Maybe, maybe moments that you deny Jesus like this. Because remember, God can do more through your failure than you can do in your strength. And my second point here is super brief. And the brevity sort of makes a point in itself. Because often our moments of failure the moments when it's made aware to us, they can seem like this random blip in the radar that just came out of nowhere. But really, that moment is the crux of what we've been building up to for far too long. See, 
Peter's failure began in his heart long before this moment where he's singled out by the world. First, he's singled out by self, and then by the world, and then finally, he's singled out by the Savior. Hallelujah. See, all that built up to the failure is nothing in comparison to that with all that Jesus intended to use it for, for his eternal saving purposes. Amen? Now, I'm such a yuppie that I had to look this up. It turns out that roosters crow multiple times in the morning and at various intervals. And so I was asking the question, what's the point of, uh, you know, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times? And I, I don't have an answer for you, actually. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the, why the numbers, right? But I can observe with you in my Bible, like you can in yours, that Jesus is being precise. He's being painfully specific about the details. It's like when I tell my wife, hey, I don't remember you saying anything about this thing that we're doing. And she's like, oh, well, yeah, I told you a few times, but also, uh, hey, there it is in your calendar right there. And uh, this flyer has been on the refrigerator for three weeks. See, Jesus was saying to Peter, hey, listen, Peter, I know you say you'll die for me, but I'll tell you the exact moment where you'll, you'll deny even your acquaintance with me a third consecutive time. And just like Jesus predicted, Peter denied even knowing him. This is like the student in the campus ministry who says, hey, let's go to the nations together. And he texts you, he's like, hashtag let's go. And then the next week you text him and he's like, new number, who dis? In a matter of hours, just like three hours, Peter went from boasting to ghosting. Yeah, you knew it was coming. All right, we'll move on. Hey, hey, hey thank you for the help there. Y'all, Jesus singles Peter out, and it wasn't just for correction. It was for restoration. Remember, all the disciples boasted just like Peter did. It says they all said the same. And if you read on, they all left him just like Peter did. At least that's what Mark says. But Jesus kept singling Peter out, not just to make an example of his failure, but more so to make a beautiful display of the glory of the gospel that restores through failure. If you flip forward to Mark 16, two chapters ahead, three of Jesus' women followers go to the, te- the, the tomb in order to, to prepare Jesus' body with spices, but they encounter a, a, an empty tomb, except there's an angel in an otherwise empty tomb. By the way, women, women being the, the first to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus would prove to be a scandalizing detail in the first century uh, Jewish culture, especially with men, given the sexism embedded in first century culture. And yet, it's recorded in our Gospels that it was women that saw Jesus first, and the reason that it's recorded that way is because that's what happened. And the writers of the Gospel, knowing the tensions, wrote it down anyway, and it shows the reliability of Scripture. Verses 6 and 7 of Mark 16. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Look at the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples. And Peter, 
He's going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. So I have to wonder if this angel was in the, the, the tomb of Jesus, even maybe before the stone was rolled away, and in the light of Jesus alone, they had this beautiful conversation after Jesus rose from the dead, and, and Jesus would have given this angel specific directions. Hey, hey make sure that you call Peter by name. See, I want him to know that even though he rejected me, I cannot and will not and will never reject him. And even if Peter doesn't see himself as fit to be my disciple anymore, I'm gonna make sure he knows that I'm still the primary one doing the choosing here. See, Jesus knew that Peter was so headstrong and self-confident that he'd have to first fail and then deny himself in order to gain the power to stop denying Jesus and truly follow Jesus. So let's together spend 10 minutes bravely drawing out the implications, hallelujah, of what this means to us and the nations about following Jesus through failure, amen? Y'all, our abiding hope is not in avoiding failure. It's that even the worst failure will not thwart Jesus' acceptance of me. This is why the doctrine of assurance is so crucial for the believer, I've learned over the years. Because God knows that the more time you spend doubting your own salvation and right standing with the Father, the less capable you will be as an instrument unto the salvation of others. Every other faith or religion or idea is essentially about man or woman's striving quest to get to God, to achieve, to succeed at arriving in God's presence, if you will. And so you go to church, you, you go to confession, you pray towards Mecca, you repeat your mantra, you, you find your oneness, you do all that you can do to get to God. But our faith is unique and singular in that it tells of a God who came to us when we could not get to him. And he came to us in our failure and he chose us, and he loves us, and he restores us by his own sacrifice on the cross. Christianity stands alone in this regard, and it's uniquely humbling. And perhaps the Holy Spirit is singling you out right now, because you've been spending too much time singling yourself out in self-condemnation and guilt. And if that's you, I have a serious question for you. Do you think that your failure is more weighty, more significant than the cross of Jesus Christ? So you can't condemn yourself and fully believe the gospel at the same time. Romans 5, God demonstrates his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, failures, Christ died for us. So listen, if Jesus chose you, and yet you're condemning yourself, you're sort of accusing Jesus of making bad decisions. 
and choices. Don't do that. Now, on the interwebs today, you're going to hear lots of stories of deconstructions, of so-called reasons why people have turned from what they think is the faith. And, And I listen to a lot of them, and I'm super saddened because I know that a lot of the things that they've seen that have gone wrong in churches are errors that I've also been uh, guilty of perpetrating, things I've done wrong, and probably you as well. And, and nevertheless, I rarely hear any new ideas in these deconstructions. They're often stories about how we, the church, haven't represented Jesus accurately. And this saddens me so deeply because there is no implicit reason to turn from Jesus as a result. If anything, those are reasons to turn to Jesus because of the hypocrisy. In fact, I have a well-founded suspicion that these people have largely missed what Peter captured right here in his deepest moment of pain and failure. Friends, you will never feel the need to, to deconstruct the faith and the Bible if you allow the Holy Spirit to fully deconstruct you. And you allow Jesus to meet you there in the middle of your failure and reconstruct you and regenerate you. So practically, how do I follow Jesus through my failure? You might say, Pastor Peter, look, I've tried to surrender this and, and you know, make this right, and I can't. And, and thankfully, there is more available to us than just, our, just trying a little harder. Hallelujah. Maybe you need to go from, you know, church services to embracing church more. And maybe specifically it means for you, like, commit to a community group. Look, even if it's super hard to fit into your schedule, isn't it harder to carry your guilt around longer? Two weeks after I became a Christian, I went to my first men's group where men were confessing their sin in the most raw and real way possible, and it was totally new to me, totally uncomfortable, and yet totally liberating. Because in that moment, God showed me, I'll never, ever, ever have to be alone again in my failure, my struggles, my secrets, never again. James 5.16, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confession and repentance are these ancient gifts from the Heavenly Father that are extravagant and they're meant to be opened regularly by habit within community. Our faith is a team sport if you speak fluent jock like I do. And maybe, maybe you need professional counseling. Look, our church offers so many opportunities to us It's not even fair. Devil has no chance. In fact, right now, there's my my counselor. I see him next Thursday. Aaron, he works for this church. He's across the street doing hard work, doing his thing so I can do mine and you can do yours. We have no excuse. We got too much on our side. And and now before I close, I'm going to get even more personal, and I pray that you can take this personally and let God move deeper in you. If you can't fully own your failure, how can you fully receive his acceptance? Because Jesus died for you right there in your failure. He didn't die for the future upgraded version of you, you 2.0. He died for the real you. So own your failure. No minimizing your sin like I've done way too much in the past. 
you know, trying to, you know, like piece it together as if it's some sort of misunderstanding or I can piece it together with enough excuses like it's some sort of puzzle. No, it's my ugly, bloody sin. And if you're not owning your sin and your failure, how can you own the truth of the bloody cross-bought gospel that Jesus paid for? Listen, you will never, ever need to know whether or not you're good enough because I have an answer for you. You're not. But the question is, is the cross powerful enough to fully and finally absolve your failure? And the answer is yes! Hallelujah. Now, in the same way, if you can't accept others amidst their failures, that's a dangerous position too. No matter how ignorant or insensitive or unkind someone seems to you, you can't cancel them without risking canceling yourself from the ongoing grace of restoration. I've heard way too many therapeutic-sounding self-care excuses that just do not drive, jive with Scripture. I'm so thankful that my best friend Shadrach in the last 10 years has not canceled me as I've been working through insensitive and even racist attitudes and look, I'm still working on stuff. Hallelujah. I still get to grow as a disciple with you. So in conclusion, Jesus died on a Friday in history to pay the full penalty of our sin. He said it is finished and he meant it. And make no mistake, this was God's plan. Remember in our passage, Jesus quotes Zechariah, but he puts the, the voice of God in first person, which is really important. He says, I will strike the shepherd. The shepherd striking was God's agency. I don't even know how that works, but I trust him. The cross wasn't some divine accident. It was the plan of the Father and the willful obedience of the perfect Son to die the death that we should have died in our place. And that same Sunday, he rose again from the dead, verifiably, so that we could truly live with him. Not just live-ish, but fully live an abundant life with him. And so he invites us to join him, to, to, to die to self, to take up our cross and the weight of our failures and surrender as a, a living sacrifice and follow him. And before I pray for you, I have an invitation if the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now, you need to talk to someone about that. And if you know what that is because he's showing you, you've gone far too long without talking to someone about it. I want you right now, even as we're here together and we're all, you know, we're all too insecure to worry about what other people are, you know, to look at other people, right? Even as we're all here together, if the Holy Spirit's saying to you, you need to talk to someone about that. I want you to, if you're here with your spouse or your friend, just kind of give them a, a subtle squeeze on the hand or the leg or whatever. Or if you're here alone or if you're online, get your phone out right now and text someone. Say, hey, I need to talk. Maybe it's not talking with that person, but you're just making yourself accountable. You're taking that step and watching what God does with that. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, whether we feel ready for your grace or not, you're ready, and you're moving. Lord, you said that you would go before them to Galilee, 
and you're still going before us now. You're making the first move. And so, Lord, help us to respond well to your love. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.